For nearly 60 years, Burma has been at war with itself. Political repression and ethnic cleansing are a way of life in the country now known as Myanmar. They came and destroyed our school, our church. The women and the children, they made them go in front to be their minesweepers. Neighboring Thailand plays host to an ever-increasing number of Burmese refugees. One million Burmese people are living in Thailand illegally. In between are the Karen, an ethnic group struggling for survival, and an independent homeland called Kothule. Kothule is a place where there's no bad things. It's all things pure. In the midst of the world's longest-running civil war, we talk to the women working for peace. Someday, our country will be called Kothule. Coming up, Outer Voices presents Kothule.
The children were born where there is no country. They are waiting for the peaceful countries where there will be peace in Burma. I want to tell you about Burma. I want to tell you about the longest civil war in the world. I want to tell you about the Korean people. They don't know about the Koreans. Whenever I go, I said I'm Korean. They said, Korean? No, I'm not Korean. I'm Korean. <laughs> so we want people to know about our struggles, to know something about us. The Korean people are one of the ethnic groups, which is the largest ethnic group in Burma. Someday, our country will be called Gatule. You're listening to Kothule from Outer Voices. In the next hour, you'll hear about the war between the Burmese military regime and the Karen people. You may not have heard of it, but they've been fighting for nearly 60 years. millennia, women have dedicated themselves almost exclusively to the task of nurturing, protecting and caring for the young and the old, striving for conditions of peace that favored life as a whole. Perhaps you remember Aung San Suu Kyi, Nobel Prize winner and the democratically elected president of Burma. To the best of my knowledge, no war was ever started by women. But it is women and children who have always suffered most in situations of conflict. I think Aung San is very brave and very intelligent. Through her, many people get to know Burma. But the lady remains under house arrest, completely isolated from the outside world. Meanwhile, two Karen women, Zipporah Sain and Dr. Cynthia Mong, are also working hard for civil rights and democracy. Both have been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Outer Voices traveled to the Thai-Burma border to record their stories. I'm Jack Chance, and you're listening to Kafu Le from Outer Voices. Outer Voices is a series of audio profiles of women peacemakers in Asia and the Pacific Rim. These are the women of Kafu Le. My name is Sipora Sen and I am the secretary of Korean Women Organization and I am working for empowerment and education. In Burmese culture, women are not supposed to be outspoken. So this makes women feel a little bit inferior all the time. I feel like I'm double oppressed. Like I'm a woman and also I'm an illegal person. There are many illegal things in Burma. Stepping on a landmine will get you a heavy fine. Talking about HIV can get you fired from your job. It's a country where George Orwell once worked as a police officer. Big Brother is alive and well. Today in Burma, a secretive military junta strictly controls technology, information, and people. Everything is in the gunpoint. You cannot see bad things about 
the government. In every quarter, in every street, they have their informer. All the taxi driver, all intelligence. You have to be very careful about that. Beneath the authoritarian surface, several ethnic groups are struggling for independence. The generals controlling the government are from an ethnic group called the Burmen. But in Burma, there are also the Shans, the Mons, the Chins, the Arakans, the Karini, the Kachins, the Palau, the Nagas, the Lahu, the Was, the Badal. And then there are the Karen. Actually, we, the Karen, are a little bit different from other minorities. Karen refugee Joseph Tanlawa. According to our history, we came from Babylon, coming to Tibet and then to Mongolia. And lastly, we came to China, and then from there we entered Burma. At that time, there is no Burma. We have been told by our ancestors that we have lost a golden boat. It was taken by our younger brother, the white people. So when the American missionary came to Burma, and when he spread the gospel, we the Kran feel that it is our lost book, this Bible. So many of them are willing to accept Christianity like that. Burma, for hundreds of years, was ruled by the Burmese kings. All the ethnic peoples are under their rule. When Burma became a British colony, and the living standard is quite good. Lydia Tamlawa of the Karen Women's Organization. No need to fear of anything. Oh, you have a free life. You can travel freely. You can communicate with everybody. It's democracy everywhere. For the first time, the ethnic people feel that they have some equal treatment. Job opportunities, education. Saw Tete of the Karen Refugee Committee. But then, during the Second World War, there was nationalism for Burma to achieve independence from British rule. Burma sided with the Japanese, and the Koreans, they are loyal to the British. The Burmese military, they see that the Koreans sided with the imperialists, with the British. And so there's a conflict between the Burmese and the Koreans from that onward. When Britain was about to give independence to Burma, they know very well that there will be trouble. The Koreans, when they ask for their freedom, they ask for their own states. And the Burmese said, if you want your freedom, you have to fight. The British promise of an independent Karen homeland was forgotten once Burma gained independence in 1948. Civil war broke out as more than half a dozen ethnic and political groups took up arms against the newly formed government. Most ethnic groups eventually signed ceasefires and were disarmed by the Burmese military. But the Karen continue their struggle for Kathule. Let's say there's talk of uh, ceasefire, uh, yes, ceasefire talks. Uh, there are talks of meetings, reconciliation. But then the picture is that it's a military rule. While the population remains poor, 
Burma's generals have spent fortunes building up their armed forces to control rebel ethnic groups like the Karen National Union. An estimated half million soldiers are under the command of Burma's State Peace and Development Council, the SPDC. They frequently target Karen civilians. When the SPDC came to the village, all the men ran away. And the women have to stay and have to face the soldiers. Many women also were forced to carry their weapons, ammunition for the soldiers, and many women were raped. Amidst the chaos, the Karen Women's Organization was formed, supporting women as they began to organize and assume new roles. The men, usually they were threatened and they were killed and they were tortured and they were arrested, being the headmen. So the men were frightened to take that role. So many women became the head of the village. It is difficult, but I think that they have the strength. They know how to negotiate, and so it's easier than men. A few miles east of the Burmese border is Maesat, Thailand. Not the friendliest town. There's a civil war right across the river. Burmese artillery occasionally lands in Thai territory. People call it the Wild West of Southeast Asia. It's a hot and dusty border town, not the Thailand you see in postcards. In Maesat, there are refugees, migrant workers, former political prisoners, off-duty rebel soldiers, and the occasional Burmese spy, as many people from Burma as from Thailand. A walk through the street market is a mixture of smells and flavors, exotic even to the Thais. to the Karen Women's Organization. You can see overburdened trucks rattling past on the Asia Highway. At checkpoints and clandestine border crossings, bribes are quietly paid as jade, rubies, sapphires, guns, drugs, and people are all smuggled in and out of Burma. We turn down a small alley. There's a few wooden buildings, but no signs. We look at our hand-drawn map and walk through the unmarked door. The Karen Women's Organization is holding English classes and public speaking workshops for a group of young women. In KWO's office, there are stacks of aid packages full of soap and baby supplies, as well as books on political activism. KWO's work ranges from teaching the fundamentals of democracy to handing out diapers. KWO provides a different training for the women, like uh, literacy training, organizational skills and women's rights and also like skills training, vocational trainers like sewing, weaving, a traditional way of weaving. Zipporah Sain is the Secretary General of the KWO. So we have seen our people suffering. I f feel like this is my responsibility to work for my people as long as our people is still on the struggle. So whatever I can do, and I have to work for my people. Human rights, environment, management, and their accounting, leadership, basic first aid, and their political, basic It's good for them also to exchange their experience and their knowledge. 
and now women feel stronger learning about their rights and learning to work together. The education and empowerment of women throughout the world cannot fail to result in a more caring, tolerant, just and peaceful life for all. You're listening to Kafu Lay from Outer Voices. Coming up, we meet Dr. Cynthia Mong and visit the refugees at the camps along the Burmese border. for democracy and human rights in Burma is the struggle for life and dignity. You're listening to Kathu Lay from Outer Voices. I'm Jack Chance. On August 8, 1988, Burmese students and activists took to the streets of Rangoon, demanding democratic reforms. The military government responded by opening fire on the crowds. The regime changed the name of the country to Myanmar, the pre-colonial Burmese kingdom. Activists formed the National League for Democracy, and their leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, was thrust into the international spotlight. The people of my country want the two freedoms that spell security. Freedom from want, and freedom from fear. In the 1990 elections, Aung San Suu Kyi and the National League for Democracy won 80% of the votes. Burma's military ignored the results. Instead of seats in parliament, the elected officials were sent to prison. Women with their capacity for compassion and self-sacrifice, their courage and perseverance, have done much to dissipate the darkness of intolerance and hate, suffering and despair. As the regime continued its crackdown on activists, thousands fled to Thailand, where another woman, a young Korean doctor named Cynthia Mong, stepped forward to help the traumatized. During 1988 uprising in Burma, I fled to the border to respond to the emergency medical assistant. 
This is not only the medical center. People who work here is like their place for safety and learning center. Down another unmarked alley in Naysat, the Maytow Clinic looks more like a village than a hospital. Kids juggle soccer balls, teenagers dance to Burmese hip-hop, and young mothers wait for infant vaccinations. Maytow Clinic provides health and social service for migrant workers and internally displaced people. Fleeing military attacks on their villages, Burma's displaced people often travel through the landmine and malaria-infested jungles for several days to reach the clinic. Every day about 100, 500 people crossing the border. They can get free service here, which they could not get inside Burma. The people never have reproductive health information, never heard about HIV. Malaria is about 10-20% of the kids treated on the border. And we have increasing number of children with malnutrition. Dr. Cynthia's clinic, as the locals call it, treats over 50,000 people per year. Sometimes people end up here and never have chance to go back to Burma because they're afraid to go back after coming to Thailand. Also, some of the patients, they leave all the documents, medical records here, because if they go back, they will ask many questions, why you go to this clinic? The clinic is technically illegal since patients and staff often cross into Thailand without documents. One million Burmese people are living in Thailand illegally. Local Thai hospital and the officials know that the situation in Burma is not getting better. We coordinate vaccination, public health education, so we have positive relationship and we help each other. But we could not learn in Burma. We learn here. We can share a lot. How can we strengthen and empower each other? We've seen many bad things, but many people who are working towards peace and human rights and democracy and to network or support each other. I'm riding north in the back of a Songtao, a pickup truck with benches in the back, packed with maybe 20 people. Someone asked if I could deliver some medicine to a relative in one of the refugee camps. Travel restrictions mean many refugees cannot access health services in Mesat. I hop off the truck and walk through a gap in the barbed wire fence surrounding Mela refugee camp. A man is waiting for me. He has an infected gunshot wound in his thigh. <laughs> He says Burmese soldiers shot him three years ago after forcing him to work as a porter. He would like to go to Dr. Cynthia's clinic, but without an ID card, travel is illegal. There are thousands of similar stories in the camp. I left Burma when I was four years old, 1984. Me and my family, we live in the Korean state. We live in the jungle. They came and destroyed our school, our church, and then they also like burn our the rice. My father and my mother leave the place, and there we became refugee people until now. My grandmother told me that she came here when my father died, when the Burmese and the Korean have a battle. My mother also died 
of the artillery. You know, my, you see my face, the right face. We have a sign of the piece of artillery. Meila is the largest refugee camp on the Thai Burma border. It's a bamboo ghetto, a city of tightly packed huts perched beneath steep limestone cliffs. Inside the barbed wire, this one camp is home to 50,000 Christian, Buddhist, and Muslim exiles from Burma. Refugees fill old petrol cans with water from a well, and bags of rice are divided into rations. There are thousands of children, playing games along the narrow paths, strumming guitars in the shade, and goofing off in open-air classrooms. Burma once had the highest literacy rate in all of Southeast Asia. Now Burmese refugees make do with dozens of these crowded schools. High on the hill above the camp, a group of boys ride flattened pieces of bamboo down a steep dirt track. They tell me they're skiing. The Thai authorities permitted these camps to be set up as temporary shelters. That was more than two decades ago. Nowhere in the world, except in Palestine, have refugees waited this long to go home. Initially, when the refugees came, there were 300,000 Indo-Chinese refugees on the eastern Thai border from Cambodia, Laos, and Vietnam under very high-profile programs. Sally Thompson of the Thailand-Burma Border Consortium. The whole policy with the Burmese refugees was that they should remain low-profile. Refugees were allowed to cross into Thailand to set up their own small village-like encampments and they were encouraged to be as self-reliant as possible. The only thing they weren't allowed to do was to plant rice because the situation was seen as temporary and it was assumed that they would go back after a short time. But that didn't happen. The situation in Burma continued to get worse and as more and more people lost their lands, we saw more and more new arrivals coming into Thailand. Inside the office of the Karen Women's Organization, women are hard at work on wooden looms, producing colorful fabrics, one of the few ways refugees can earn money. But the KWO is about much more than handicrafts. The great thing about KWO is that they've, they've just got engaged in everything. They don't just walk away and say, well, it's none of my business. They make it their business. They educate themselves, they inform themselves about the issues so that then they work out a strategy on how to deal with it. As more and more people left Burma, the Karen Women's Organization was reborn in the camps along the border. While refugees wait for change back home, the KWO trains young women here to be the future leaders. My name is Gunyapa. I'm working with KWO and I am the coordinator of human rights and democracy. We are educating the young people in refugee camps. My name is Wakushi and I'm working for the Karen Women's Organization. 
I believe in a non-violent struggle. My father works as a soldier and I work as a politician, but we have the same goals. We are a network group with other women's organizations and we also travel abroad to lobby the international government and try to involve in the decision-making. I'm inspired every time I go into a refugee camp, really. They all have remarkable resilience, remarkable creativity. They just get on with their lives. You know, some people come and say, oh, it's awful, it's hopeless, it's terrible. And you say, well, go back, take a look and see what people are, are doing with what they have and, and you'll be amazed. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. As for our current people, we have the landmines fighting on the landmines or people walking in their village, they step on the mine, like that all the time. So we have lots of amputees. So these are the pictures. I try to encourage them. Lydia Tomlawa of the Karen Women's Organization shows me photographs of the amputee Special Olympics. She organizes it each year in the refugee camps. I have sports for them. They are very, very happy because uh, they think that they are not uh, left behind. No eyes, both hands amputated. No feet. It's not pretty, not so pretty, but they are stronger than the ordinary people with both legs. Throughout Mela camp, faded posters identify different types of landmines. Both the Burmese and Karen militaries use landmines, so Burmese soldiers often force Karen villagers to work as human landmine detectors. And the women and the children, they made them go in front to be their minesweepers. So in the daytime, they have to carry what we call a shell, big shell, three shells. And that's very heavy, big shells and long ones, very heavy. And in the nighttime, they were raped. One is 17 years old. You can imagine this single girl, how she will suffer. You can imagine that. We don't know whether we are pregnant or not, we don't know. As for our people, it's a great sin to have abortion. So it's very hard. I cannot give them, and so I'm so sorry for them. sent by the high officer, the SPDC, to the soldiers in front and to the officer in front that they can do to the current people. They can do whatever they want to do. Yeah, so like they can kill, they can rape, and they can look and whatever they want. They use it uh, systematically and uh, as a weapon. It's not only like in current state, but in the Shan state the Mon State, the Lahut areas, and other ethnic areas as well. Zipporah and the Karen Women's Organization produced the report Shattering Silences, which documents rape cases by Burmese SPDC soldiers against Karen women. Traditionally, the Karen women did not want to speak out for their suffering, 
it's kind of a shameful for them. It's very difficult to collect the information. If the current people have a problem, we will face it together. KWO's Let Let Win was appalled by Burmese soldiers raping women and forcing villagers to carry their weapons. She organized a women's defense group. When I fought the SPDC soldiers, they did not dare to touch the women in my village. But they threatened my family, so I came to the refugee camp to work for women's rights. Let Let Win no longer carries a rifle. Today she helps women in cases of domestic violence, organizes income generation projects, and coordinates care for orphans, widows, abused women, and the elderly. So we came to understand a lot of Burmans also suffer under the military regime, and we have the ethnic groups that sharing the same feeling and the same suffering. So we came to understand each other more, and I think if we have Burma full of different ethnic groups, it is so... For me, it's so rich and it's so beautiful, like we have different people working together. Like in the refugees camp, women have more opportunity to be together and learn together and share their experience. Because we are not legal, this is difficult for us even though we lived in Thai territory. So we always worried about our security because you can be arrested anytime because you don't have any document. To travel. The 1951 Geneva Convention states that refugees should be given freedom of movement and the right to wage earning employment. But Thailand never signed the convention, so it does not recognize those who seek shelter within its borders. They are facing immediate security problems, so repeated arrests by the police. They have no legal right to work. Elizabeth Curtin of the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. The people who are in camps at this point amount to about 140,000 people in all nine camps. So the, although they are provided with basic assistance, it's a very restricted life which has now been going on for 20 years for some people. Thailand still has an open door policy for asylum seekers. Sally Thompson. If you look at Thailand's record overall, it has a good humanitarian record. It has had hundreds of thousands of refugees that have been given asylum in Thailand. Many other countries who are signatory to the convention certainly do not have such a good record. It's very boring because we don't have a chance to go on about education or we don't have freedom. We have to stay here like people live in a jail. If you go outside the camp, you can be arrested and deported. Dr. Cynthia Mong. The population is growing and the camp is very crowded, make a lot of pressure. to know how long do we have to wait here. Our home is right over the river, but we cannot go. How long can we survive without a country, without war, without future? <laughs>
At the end of the day, I leave the refugee camp and catch a ride back to Mesat. Passport, please. I show my blue American passport to the Thai army, the border patrol, and the cops. Others aren't so lucky. At one checkpoint, half the passengers are removed by police. This is Kothu Le from Outer Voices. Coming up, we'll take you across the border into Burma. You're listening to Kathu Le from Outer Voices. I'm Jack Chance. Kathu Le is a place where there's no bad things. It's all things pure. Someday, our country will be called Kathu Le. A rickety bamboo bridge spans the Moy River. We walk across from Thailand into Burma, and on the other side, a Karen soldier with few teeth in his smile greets us at the wooden gate. Good evening. There's a brightly painted sign overhead. It reads, Welcome to Kathule. We're inside a military base of the Karen National Union, one of the few pieces of land the Karen still control. The rebel soldiers watch a steady stream of Karen villagers arriving. These newcomers have walked here from deep inside Burma. Many look sick from malaria and dengue fever. Their stories are gruesome. This village burnt, this many raped, children executed, rice farmers ordered to pay for the landmine they stepped on. The kinds of things you'd call ethnic cleansing if your UN representative were allowed in the country to see it. These homeless villagers are called internally displaced people. For months, they've been on the run from the Burmese military. The people are just moving place to place for survival. Dr. Cynthia Mong of the Maytow Clinic. There are about one million internally displaced people. They could not access health service from Burma. A team of men and women carrying huge bags full of medicine are preparing to leave for some distant Karen villages. 
Currently, we have 70 teams providing medical care for about 150,000. Dr. Cynthia helped found the Backpack Medics, a tough group of aid workers who trek illegally back into Burma. This include medical care as well as training for the community volunteers and school health and water sanitation. This medic tells me many displaced people lack even basic health information. On her missions, she gives reproductive health training to the homeless villagers. There's a lot of restriction on movement or media, so providing information on health topics or communication is a very tough issue. Wearing cheap plastic sandals, the backpack medics travel for months at a time through landmine-infested jungles sometimes only to find their makeshift hospitals have been destroyed by Burma's SPDC soldiers. This medic says the SPDC mistook a Karen villager for a rebel soldier. They came to the village, shot the man, and took the medicine he'd just given them. In 2005, Burma's State Peace and Development Council moved its capital from Rangoon to a remote location near Karen territory. SPDC soldiers are securing the new capital by clearing Karen villages, stealing rice harvests, and killing civilians. 15,000 new Karen refugees are on their way to the Thai border. More than half a million are thought to be homeless in the jungles of eastern Burma. For the Karen, the struggle for an independent homeland has become a fight for survival. If they change and they restore the country into democracy, then people will be happy to go back. What happens if the Burmese military regime does loosen its grip? Zipporah Sain and the Karen Women's Organization are preparing for that day. The country should be planned ahead. So when democracy restored, then the ethnic people will have self-determination in their own states, in a federal system. We try also like to encourage the leaders that women participation is very important. So in the future, Burma also we try to set up like at least 30% of women should be involved with each decision-making level. And what about Kothule? How would a democratic federal system be accepted by Karen rebels? who've been fighting for independence for generations. We will still call Kothule, but Kothule within Burma. Ganyo Pa of the KWO. It's possible for independence, but right now we can work together with other ethnic groups as long as we have the autonomy and we have our current leaders that will govern the current people. Burma's State Peace and Development Council ignored requests for three-way talks with ethnic leaders and democratic groups. Instead, the regime sponsored the National Convention, which promised a new constitution representing all ethnic groups. The National Convention is organized by the SPDC. It is not the will of the people in Burma. The ethnic people that participate in the convention, they do not have the right to say and they do not have their right to request what they want. The SPDC pick up the person that they want to participate. It's up to the SPDC. The Burmese government, it's up to them. Now people try to negotiate, to have peace talk. They tried again and again already. Lydia Tom Lawa of the KWO. As for the Korean, the military, 
they don't want to fight anymore. They want peace. They want democracy. But the thing is that we have to resist what the Burmese attack and how we we just uh, retain our arms and ammunitions just for our survival. But if there is peace, really peace, today, tomorrow we will all go back. But the Karen never, never lay down their arms. Because if you lay down your arms as if you are going to cut off your head. While the Karen rebels try to hold off an army more than 20 times their size, thousands of displaced people have gathered at a new camp near the Sawin River, a sacred river for many ethnic groups. But the SPDC, in cooperation with Thai and Chinese energy companies, is planning to clear construction sites for a series of hydroelectric dams on the Salwin, threatening more villagers from their homes. The Karen have an old folk song that predicts the Salwin will run red as rich men dam the river. For the Karen villagers escaping to the border, these words may be coming true. The dream of Kafu Lei seems all but extinguished. While the Karen women's organization lobbies for change, and Dr. Cynthia's backpack medics help Karen villagers to survive, for those in the Thai refugee camps, life is prolonged exile. We're sitting at a campfire back in Mei La refugee camp. These teenage refugees are cheerful, but tonight they're saying goodbye. In the morning, one of them will receive a bus ticket to Bangkok, spend the night in a hotel, and take a plane to Australia to start a new life, far away from the Burmese military or the Thai refugee camps. After two decades of uncertainty, the camps are buzzing with talk of resettlement. Refugee camps are temporary shelters. What we see is that the Thai government, they want the refugees to go back. But if that is not possible, they would like the refugees to be accepted by that country. Many governments have wanted to offer resettlement to Burmese refugees, but have not been able to get access to the camps. So it's because of a change in Thai government policy. Elizabeth Curtin of the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. This is a way for other countries to share the burden. It's a way to resolve some of the problems that Thailand has faced in hosting refugees. The United States even waived parts of the Patriot Act and agreed to accept nearly 10,000 Burmese and Karen refugees. Thousands more are preparing to be resettled in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and half a dozen European countries. As refugees, there's no future. And inside, there's no future. Resettlement may be some kind of a future for them. Saw Tete of the Karen Refugee Committee. We have difficulty in finding replacement. School teachers, medics, nurses, social workers, health educators. But still, people have their choice, yes? They can apply. We don't want to be an obstacle, but we see that Young, knowledgeable people will be drawn out. The Western countries offering resettlement tend to favor educated refugees, inadvertently causing a brain drain among the communities left behind. 
the good things they will be free from worry. They will receive freedom and safety. The children they will receive education. But if we look as a Quran, that's not very good. We will lose the young people like the new generation. People who left behind will be like the disabled or the illiterate people because of people who were trained and well educated will go away. So it's a little bit that we have to start at the beginning again. Could the good intentions of the United States and other countries ultimately benefit Burma's military regime? When the educated activists leave for democratic countries, who will be left to fight for democracy in Burma? I can completely understand that people want to leave this situation because the future is so uncertain. Ana de Guzman works at the Burmese Medical Association, another of Dr. Cynthia's programs. I think it's really tough. People are smart. They know it's not the promised land. And a lot of these people, because they are political activists or social activists, they have very meaningful work here. And then they go over to wherever they go, for example, the U.S., and they end up working in, you know, Walmart or something. Between the Burmese Medical Association, the Maytow Clinic, and the Backpack Medics, nearly 80 health workers and medical trainees have been resettled to a third country. Dr. Cynthia Mong. It is hard time. In this situation, the people who continue working here or also to maintain the quality of the services, or it is hard time. People don't want to be refugees, people don't want to be displaced, but due to circumstances, uh, people are almost destroyed. So, as a refugee, what would be your choice? Everyone thinks that when they go, they will come back and they will walk. But we don't think that it will happen. Maybe one person in a hundred will come back. They didn't know the situation, how the things that will make them change. Walking through Mela refugee camp, I meet an old man who's teaching traditional Karen music to a group of teenagers. He says this song is 50 years old. It predicts the Karen people will soon be scattered, far from their homeland. When I first arrived abroad, I feel freedom. It's ah, oh, the freedom that we want. You don't need to worry about anything. You are not afraid of the police, of the soldiers, and you can travel. But I feel very bad about that. This freedom, it should be in our country, you know. The first time, I, I cried every night. I was sorry about my people. We don't know where they will experience about this kind of safety and freedom. 
Whiskey. Back in Maesat, I walk down to the concrete bridge that officially links Thailand to Burma. Kids with blackened teeth hawk cigarettes and whiskey while their mothers beat laundry upon the river rocks. Groups of migrant workers sit in neat rows on the sidewalk. They were caught without papers and wait to be deported back to Burma. In Thailand, there are smooth paved highways and fast internet connections. In Burma, roads are built with forced labor. People die in prison for owning unregistered fax machines. In between is the war you don't hear about. In between is Kothule. I want to thank you for offering me a place in your country. But I want you to know that my heart is in Kothule with my current people. If the current people have a problem, we will face it together. How can we strengthen and empower each other? Tamudaku. Yes, that means peace. These magnificent human beings who have done so much to aid their men in the struggle for peace and justice. How much more could they not achieve if given the opportunity to work in their own right for the good of their country and of the world? My dream is I don't want myself to be happy. I want all my people to be free. Major underwriting for Kothule was provided by the Open Society Institute and the Ford Foundation. Additional funding was provided by the Pohaku Fund, the Lucius and Eva Eastman Foundation, the American Friends Service Committee, and other generous donors. Kothule was produced by Jack Chance. Executive producer was Stephanie Geyer-Stevens. Edited by Barrett Golding. Mixing engineer was Robin Wise. Production intern was Kathy Wong. Research assistant was Caroline Kemp. Sound recordings by Emily Polk, Jack Chance, Kathy Wong, Chamu, and Megan Hauser. Field recordings of traditional music by Gregory Scarborough, Jack Chance, Chamu, the Karen Youth Organization, and Nicole Huck. In Thailand, thanks go to the Karen Women's Organization, the Maytau Clinic, the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, the Thailand-Burma Border Consortium, the Karen Refugee Committee, the Center for Internally Displaced Karen People, the Karen Student Network Group, the Burmese Medical Association, the Assistance Association of Political Prisoners, Burma Issues, the World Education Consortium, Tim Sirota, Phil Thornton, Violet Cho, Altsian, Images Asia, and the Foreign Correspondents Club of Thailand. In the United States, thanks go to the American Friends Service Committee, Golden Gate Chapter, the World Affairs Council, San Francisco, Friends of the Karen, the Burma Scholars Program of the Open Society Institute, Dr. Ben Brown, Planet Care, and KGLT-FM. Many other people have contributed to this program and who, for the safety of their families, must remain anonymous. Kothule is the third in a series of audio profiles of women activists in Asia and the Pacific Rim, produced by Outer Voices. To obtain a CD of this program, please call 415-497-0563. That's 
1-800-273-0563. Or visit us online at www.outervoices.org. Money so long, 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 money so long